Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. DJ? Charles, how are you? Doing great. Good to see you. Good, you as well, buddy. Yeah, I'm super excited about today. I couldn't be more excited. Super excited. You know, we're going to have a conversation today about a topic, more of a, a term plus a topic that we, you and I talk about all the time. Every day. The concept of flourishing, right? Um, and I wanted, I, I got the definition from, actually from uh, the Harvard website. Um, I will explain that in a second okay. when we introduce our guest. But Flourishing is a state in which all aspects of a person's life are good. Yep. Okay. Simply put, right? Simply, really, yeah. really simply put. And so today we're having a conversation with Dr. Renee Wilkinson, who is a doctoral fellow with the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University. Welcome. Dr. Wilkinson, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here with you, too. We're excited to be here with you. We, we actually had a conversation, to have an opportunity to have a dialogue a few weeks ago. Uh, as a precursor to the podcast today. And um, man, I think, you know, DJ and I have had a lot of dialogue over the course of uh, the podcast in the last two seasons, um, thinking about how this work can be really practical for for implications with everyone in life, right? And so to have this opportunity to talk with you, talk about the uh, human flourishing program at Harvard Institute of Quantitative Social Science. I know I think you're doing some work uh, collaboratively with uh, Baylor University, from what I understand as well. And I think that's yes. where you got your 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 doctorate as well. Is that correct? Yes, doctorate in sociology at uh, at Baylor. Yes, doctorate sociology, and we do have some other things in common. Like you're you're from Portland, Oregon. I know. Yes, you yes. Spent some time <laughs> there as well, and have good relationships, family, friends. Uh, in the Portland area, uh, so so got a little home cooking here as as yes. station. Lots so, of areas of intersection, absolutely. No question. So just to you know, what we like to do a lot of times is just you know bring us to where you are today, currently in life, and starting with like what are some of the seminal moments for you growing up uh, from your childhood up to where you are today in, in the work that you do at Harvard. Sure. Well, as you already mentioned, um, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, born and raised. Um, and I uh, moved down to Texas with my husband, Daniel, who's uh, a, who is a Texan, um, to do my doctoral program in sociology at Baylor. And um, I focused in um, sociology of health. Um, so my research mostly focuses on um, Family and educational pathways to, um, to health and well-being across the transition to adulthood. So I, I kind of look at um, adolescence um, and how uh, you know things like relationships um, with parents and with siblings, um, family relationships, how those are promotive of health and well-being across the transition to adulthood to um, to young adulthood. So I completed my PhD in uh, 2020 at uh, Baylor and started the postdoc with the Human Flourishing Program here at Harvard. Um, and I've been uh, with Harvard for um, the past almost two years. So how did that connection happen, Dr. Wilkinson? How did you get involved with the uh, Institute there at Harvard? That's a great question. So um, my doctoral research, my, my dissertation focused on uh, childhood parental death. 
as um, an exposure that led to, you know, most of the time, worse health and lowered well-being. So it's not a deterministic relationship. It's, it's not necessarily always true that having experiencing an adverse life event like the death of a parent um, in childhood or adolescence is, um, is going to lead to worse outcomes. But, you know, most of the time we have to acknowledge that these adverse childhood exposures like abuse, parental death, divorce, there's a whole um, uh, literature around adverse childhood experiences and childhood misfortune more broadly. Most of the time, these lead to um, worse health and well-being, not only immediately in childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, but across the life course. The literature is pretty robust, showing that experiencing these types of events and conditions early in life is not great for uh, one's health and well-being. And where I came to the Human Flourishing Program, um, where my interests overlap is certainly it's 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 that happens a lot of the time. Um, it does lead to worse outcomes experiencing these negative life events. But as I said earlier, it's not a deterministic relationship. It, it doesn't necessarily happen. There are things in life that can be protective or promotive of of well being, um, even in spite of experiencing adversities. And so that's where I wanted to take my research following my dissertation, you know, looking at the poor outcomes that result from experiencing the death of a parent. What are, we also know that these types of experiences can actually influence growth and, you know, finding meaning and purpose in life. And that's why I wanted to, um, to move to the human flourishing program at Harvard because we're, we're focusing on, you know, some of the um, the the resources or the, um, the the positive buffers that can uh, lead to better um, health and well-being, um, even in spite of um, adversities. So some of my more recent work looks at the role of parent-child bonds. So having um, connectedness in uh, in one's youth with a parent or caregiver, um, you know, in, in two parent families or in single parent families, having someone who is communicative and loving with whom you're close, you have a warm relationship, how that can be protective, um, you know, in spite of whatever you may experience beyond childhood, um, having these social resources imbue a sense of, you know, trust and stability in the world that can protect you even in spite of, you know, what you experience uh, beyond that life stage. Wow. Yeah, that, that is so interesting. And I think I shared this the last time you and I spoke, but uh, it just brings this up for me again. Um, my wife uh, and her brother experienced the death of their father when they were respectively seven. She was seven. He was nine. Um, he actually the, the my brother in law actually found uh, their father unconscious um, from having a stroke. And traumatic experience, traumatic experience um, obviously impacted them both greatly. But um, I'm just you mentioned the protective elements. It just made me really curious because she, for lack of a better word, has really flourished in terms of what she's been able to do with her life and what she's been able to accomplish. I mean, I've li we're literally having this conversation with someone the other day where she said that moment really elevated her in terms of like what she needed to do to help the family move forward. Like she became almost like the spouse of her mother in terms of mm -hmm. all things like mm -hmm. paying bills and things that she began to do as a eight, nine, 10 year old and moving forward um, that set the stage for, for things for her to be successful in life 
Whereas for her brother, the op- complete opposite, you know, um, has just really, he's very, very overweight. Um, and uh, man, I hope he's not listening. I just thought about that. Um, and, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, um, and great guy. I mean, I love him. He's a great guy. Had to clean that up. Um, but you can tell there's something missing, right? There's this, right. You know, this gaping hole of um, just, you know, sort of moving through life without, you know, very mm-hmm. few ups and downs in terms of like real joy or, or and I wouldn't kind use stagnation, word, right? right? So like the opposite of flourishing, right? Right. Yeah. I use that word. So it is interesting that your research kind of shows out that there are things that help people. And I'm just curious about, I wonder, you know, I have a conversation with her about this more, more deeply, but I wonder what protective themes could have been there to help her versus what her brother experienced. Yeah. And it, that's why I am so interested in um, this, this life stage. So childhood and adolescence, the transition to adulthood, because there are so many different factors, you know, your wife and, and her brother were only a couple of years apart, but, you know, obviously had very different um, experiences and, and outcomes with experiencing the death. And, you know, there could be um, certainly gender differences, different kind of relationship with the, the remaining parent or the parent who was deceased. And so that's why it's just, it's so interesting because it's not only the, the the social context in which these events and conditions are happening, but you know, there's developmental um, things that are happening in in childhood and adolescence. We we in uh, in health literature, it's referred to as you know um, critical period or sensitive period. That you know some some things that you experience early in life, you know, in utero, um, in infancy, in early childhood, these things leave an indelible mark. You know, if you have um, negative experiences, then, you know, sometimes there's just physiological processes that, that imprint, and then that, you know, creates cumulative stress that results in worse health and well-being long-term because it just continues to accumulate. And that even, you know, a sensitive period that continues into adolescence, there's um, a growing body of literature showing that, you know, similarly, it's not just, you know, during childhood, it, it extends into adolescence that experiencing these types of events um, can, you know, it can re- rework our, our physiology. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time it's the um, it's the, the the social outcomes. You know, it, it, your uh, your brother-in-law could be, you know, they're, they're protective factors. It's, you know, relationships are what I, I mostly focuses, focus on. So, you know, the fact that he had his sister that was, you know, functioning well, she stepped in, um, she, you know, kind of became a, a, a second caregiver, helping out um, their mother. That's, you know, a protective resource that he had that, you know, his sister didn't really have. So she was, you know, she was doing, a, she she probably leaned on, uh, on her mother as much as she could, who's a single parent, you know, uh, certainly overwhelmed. Um, but, you know, I'd say that your wife, is probably a, a significant reason, um, a significant resource that um, that was there and protected for him. But you know, it could be that he didn't have you know the kinds of role models or um, you know other mentors outside the house that you know e- even in spite of having these resources, sometimes there are deficits that um, that e- even the fact that he's just you know stable, even coasting and not doing. Um, extremely maladaptive speaks to, you know, the, what your wife was able to do and step in and be 
um, kind of a surrogate caregiver um, because the outcome could have been much worse. And that's why it's, it's you know, kind of tricky to study these um, protected resources because sometimes the good results doesn't look all that good. You know, it's, it's, it's maintenance. It's just the, it's the lack of um, bad outcomes, the lack of adverse outcomes, but, you know, sometimes uh, stability or just, you know, maintenance can be a positive outcome um, from these, you know, adverse life events. It feels kind of counterintuitive and you would hope that it's, you know, promotive of well-being, And that's what, you know, we really try to study with the human flourishing program. What are the, the factors that, um, lead to, you know, better, better functioning, well-being across domains. You know, it's not just health and well-being, which is where, you know, my, my research mostly focuses, but you know, it is, like we said, meaning and purpose and character and virtue. And so, you know, even the fact that your, your brother-in-law's health may not be that great, there could be other aspects. Um, flourishing, we have to be, you know, comprehensive and, uh, and think about it a little bit more holistically, which is the push that we have with um, the Human Flourishing Program. So, you know, it's so important, I think, for, you know, all of us to understand not just conceptually what flourishing really means, but also in, you know, in practice and, you know, actually exercising flourishing. So can you talk a little bit about the distinction between flourishing and being happy? Because I think when we talk to somebody about flourishing, those places they go is, well, I feel happy. And, you know, that's kind of a temporary state. Flourishing is more longer term. But what are some of the other distinctions? That's great. So, you know, what we're drawing on here at at the Human Flourishing Program, when we're when we're conceptualizing flourishing, um, we're drawing on, you know, the humanities. What what do the philosophers and the theologians have to say about about what is a flourishing life, a well-lived life? And then we're also thinking about it analytically. Like, what do the social sciences have to say about the types of you know outcomes that do tend to be associated with you know better better functioning. What does good health and um, and well being, better mental health, what does that look like? So when we're when we're thinking about this, um, we're trying to be holistic and draw on you know the wisdom of the ages. And so the way that um, the Human Flourishing Program has conceptualized it is, you're absolutely right. Most people go to happiness. You know what is what is the good the well lived life? It's you know to be happy. And that's one of the domains that that we we do focus on as as um, a, a part of flourishing, you know, happiness and life satisfaction. But it also involves other aspects, like I've mentioned multiple times, uh, mental and physical health. You know, to be well in your body and in your mind, um, but also meaning and purpose, character and virtue, having close social relationships. And then, you know, often uh, it's important to have a a level of, you know, financial security uh, stability that, you know, kind of can promote flourishing more long term. So it's it's not necessary that the way that we study um, flourishing in in this comprehensive way is all of these different components um, and how they can, you know, lead to more sustained well-being. And it's just, you know, having having, doing well in all, across all of these domains. You know, I imagine that there's, you know, as you think about the concept, right, that there are tools that people either lack, right, or that they possess that help them along this path. Have you, in in this study, have you, have you started to 
maybe perhaps pull out some, what some of those things are that are really requisite in order for you to be able to flourish, if you will? Sure. So that's a, that's a great question. So it's it's not only about you know uh, recognizing what the different domains of flourishing are and, and being able to measure them. That's a that's a significant piece of what we do with the Human Flourishing Program. Is how do you actually measure measure whether someone is has meaning and purpose in their life, or you know whether they are uh, they have close social relationships. So so measurement is a a huge piece of it. Um, but we also look at, you know, the pathways. So a pathway is, you know, what contributes to doing well across these outcomes. And like I said earlier, my, the majority of my research focuses on relationships um, or the lack of relationship. So the severing of a tie with parents due to the death of a parent or, you know, the, um, the positive aspects of that relationship in, in its existence with parent-child bonds. Um, Across our program, we study uh, contributors to um, health and well-being, general flourishing, um, such as you know educational attainment, religious service involvement. There is a large literature on um, how you know going to church and then um, having being involved in in uh, social activities like volunteering that these lead to better flourishing across the life force. Um, We've done some pretty rigorous analytic studies that show the the, the benefits associated with um, with these types of pathways. So there's that's what um, that's a, a large portion of our research is looking at you know what are the pathways to to flourishing so that we can intervene. You know that's where we develop the intervention. So um, one study that my colleague has been working on is uh, how how forgiveness contributes to. Um, flourishing. And so they have designed a um, an intervention, a workbook intervention that promotes forgiveness, which we would expect to um, contribute to longer term flourishing. So that's the next piece is, you know, we, we figure out how we study it, we design um, survey questions so that we can assess, um, assess these pathways and outcomes analytically. And then, you know, once we have um, the results, we would hope to develop um, interventions so that we can um, promote well-being. So that's that's um, a piece of our work that I'm a little bit less involved in because I'm on more of our, our research arm, um, but that is a, a piece of the human flourishing program. So, you know, you, you brought up something that was really interesting when we talked about, um, you, you just casually mentioned church, you know, and I know that. Yeah. Um, has its place. You know, I thought about my childhood. I attended um, a Methodist AME church with my great grandmother uh, growing up. And she felt as if she was flourishing through church. There were so many other aspects of her life that where she wasn't flourishing. Uh, she had a husband that was a terror. But this was sort of her sanctuary, right? Mm -hmm. And what's so funny is Dr. Wilkinson, when I would go to church, I would see all of this imagery and none of it looked like me. Uh-huh, sure. Angels, Jesus, et cetera. So, you know, when we talk about flourishing, there are so many different dimensions of study that we can do, right? You're thinking about culture, you're thinking about you know, race, you're thinking about uh, country of origin, whatever it might mm -hmm. be, that has its place in this work. 
what are some of the things that you guys are looking at and pressing on? Because you could argue that could fall into the social maybe aspect of things as it relates to what are some of the other things you're thinking about? You mentioned financial. Are there other aspects that you're sort of pressing on a little bit now that people hadn't thought about in the past when it comes to flourishing? Um, well, that people haven't thought about or, or maybe that they they haven't been able to measure. So that's, you know, a, a huge piece it. of it. And one of the, the projects that we have underway right now is the construct and assessment of love. So that's a, a huge um, conceptual question of, of, of what is love? How is it measured? What does it look like across different types mm. of relationships? And, and that's um, a project that we have ongoing for the next couple of years, we're looking at, you know, love of parents and children, which is um, love between parents and children, which has been, you know, studied a little more. And that's where my, my parent child bonds um, research, you know, kind of steps in, but also what does it look like? Um, what does love of stranger look like or love of enemy? And, you know, how are these things, um, how are these types of relationships, whether near or far, how are they promotive of, of well-being? And, how do you measure them? And then once you've measured them, how do you um, how do you contribute to um, to building those types of relationships to to lead to flourishing? So that's you know one example of of something that we're trying to do with the Human Flourishing Program is you know how do you conceptual how do you measure something that um, even even flourishing you know that's um, a, a huge puzzle that we've been working on for the, the past couple of years. The director of my program, Tyler Vanderweel, developed the flourishing index to um, have a, a a couple of survey questions to assess um, flourishing across different populations. Mm -hmm. This um, these questions have been piloted uh, in different nations and in different workplaces. You know we have. Um, uh, different measurements for community level flourishing, which we put into, um, you know, studies in um, different cities and in schools. And the, the biggest thing that we have on our plate right now is um, uh, the global flourishing study. You mentioned, uh, Charles, that we have a, a collaboration with Baylor University. We're um, piloting this, this landmark study in collaboration with the, the Gallup organization and, and lots of funders, John Templeton Foundation, to measure well-being across the world in 22 nations. Um, this is, it's going to represent, I think, a, a third of the, the world's population, and it's going to um, assess flourishing over the course of five years. So these are longitudinal data following the same people so that we can look across these countries and see, you know, different dimensions of flourishing and what are contributing to these different dimensions of flourishing over the world, um, which is, is huge. It's a, it's a real tremendous opportunity uh, in terms of, of data and, and measurement. Um, so that's one of the, the things that our program has put together is, you know, how, how do you measure these, um, these difficult um, conceptual puzzles like uh, like flourishing or love or forgiveness or meaning. Uh, shout out also to Dr. Vanderwill for connecting us. Uh, mm -hmm. he's yes. Very much so. Through an article that DJ and I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to read about the whole flourishing program. Um, want to go back to that idea. You talked about all the things that you're measuring and, and obviously trying to measure love and um other aspects of flourishing. 
Is there any one area or perhaps two that you say, I can't imagine, I mean, I guess ideally they all sort of map out being very equally important, but is there mm. one that you're finding or several that you're finding that sort of creep up above others in terms of level of importance that, that really tip the scales for flourishing? Oh boy. I don't know about rank ordering uh, different pathways to flourishing. <laughs> and because, you know, so many of them are, um, they, they overlap or, you know, they, they interact with each other. Um, you know, as, as a, with the research that I do, I would of course, you know, point to um, social relationships as, as being um, vitally important to, to flourishing. Um, and, you know, I think there's, there's an emphasis on, on the role of, of parents and caregivers early in life. But, you know, I think um, the thinking about things from a life course perspective, you know, early social relationships, if they're, if they're with, um, you know, parents or mentors or, you know, teachers um, having these, I would emphasize the role of, of um, having these types of social ties early in life um, because they are, they, they have associations um, with outcomes, you know, decades later. So I, I will, I won't say that social relationships are more important than other types of of resources that someone might have, but that's where, you know, my knowledge base is um, that, you know, the, the, the health promotive and, and protective um, associations of, you know, having strong ties um, early in life and across the, the life course, of, of course. So, so obviously, um, you know, as a major researcher, that can take up a lot of time and a lot of energy. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure you'd love to see an ideal state for some of this research that you're doing. What does it feel like for you is the vision for the application of all of this research that, that you're doing? What would you like to see happen with that um, as it relates to a society, parenting, kids? You know, that's the that's the long-term vision. Um, you know, you would hope that that conducting this research, all of this this um, effort that goes into measurement and assessment, and the the data analysis, and you know the, the peer reviewed papers that we write, that you know there are actual legs to this work, that there are implications uh, for the real world. So, you know, <laughs> ideally with with my work, um, I suppose the the long term vision with you know the work that I do on on parent child relationships. And love would be to identify the the factors that um, are, are really crucial to um, to flourishing relationships between parents and children, knowing how important they are for you know life course health and well being. I had I had a colleague who um, when I when I told him I was doing this study on on parent child bonds and health and well being across the the transition to adulthood. You know, we're looking at different different items how we how we assess parent child bonds, and it's you know. Um, communication and warmth and closeness um, and relationship satisfaction. Uh, and the next question was, uh, okay, so what do I do? Like, what are the things that matter? How do I, you know, I, I have teenage kids. Like, what, what can I do that will actually make a difference in our lives? Because, you know, they're, they're tuned out. They're, you know, our, our relationship is not, it's not thriving. So tell me, tell me, give me 
a framework that I can work with to improve this relationship because I know how important it is. I want us to be flourishing. I want, I want to be on the same page as my kids. I want to have a, a good relationship, but you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't, I don't know what are the factors that are most important and then, and then how we get there. So that would be, you know, my, my end goal is that, you know, any of the work that, that we do here, we can actually um, turn into, you know, not so much a, a set of instructions, but, you know, guidance for what are, what types of interventions can, can parents have to, to build strong relationships with, with their children? What are the, what are the pieces, you know, is it communication? Is that really it? Is that, is that what it's going to take to, to have a, a flourishing relationship with, with my children? Um, that, that would be the place where, where I would want to take it is what are the aspects of the relationships that really matter and that are uh, promotive of, of health and well-being long-term? You know, you know, just recalling our, our initial conversation, I know that some of this um, this work is um, personal for for you in terms of perhaps some of your upbringing. Um, can you distinguish for us as you as you're doing this work on a regular basis? How much of this is your academic self that is sure. into the research and all the things you've learned over the course of your your years of study? Versus the little girl who experienced yeah. this as you were growing. <laughs> you know, it it uh, it always helps to have a personal connection with the work that you're doing because you you know find more motivation and meaning in it. You know, it sustains you. A dissertation is a is a, a long process. You know, a PhD program and you know the work running data, running models is not always the most fulfilling activity that you can do, but a lot of the time it is. Uh, but the thing that that sustains me is, you know, a personal connection to my work. Um, and you know, I grew up with a single parent as an only child, um, only daughter. So it was just just my mom and me growing up. And you know, we had a very strong relationship, and that has um, been protective for me over the last couple of decades. You know, those those types of relationships. If I didn't have this example of how much that relationship. Um, had meant for for my well being, then you know I, I wouldn't have that personal connection to to um, knowing how vitally important it can be, or the absence of that type of um, bond can be. And so you know, the things that I think we are are most passionate about, we have we have a personal connection with, and and that's you know, my goal is to um, is to, to 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 study that, see how that bears out in the data, and to you know promote that type of bond. Um, for others, knowing how how important it can how important it's been for me, and how important it can be for others um, throughout their lives into into old age. Is this something that you and your mother have a conversation about? Do you talk to her about your work? Do you talk to her about like what this has meant for you um, through life? I mean, that's something I would imagine in some ways is is helpful for your work, but it's also quite frankly probably therapeutic as well. Yeah, well, uh, I, I certainly would be having this conversation. Uh, my mom died about ten years ago, which is oh, why you know the the study of uh, of uh, parental death. I wasn't I wasn't a child. I was I was twenty one. But uh, but you know, I think that the experience that I had with her, the strength of that bond, was protective. You know, we we had um, such close ties that when she died, it was um, a. a a watershed moment in my life, um, obviously could have led to, um, 
any number of, of poor outcomes um, in terms of health, well-being, flourishing could have, could have been, and it was devastating. Interpersonally, it was devastating, but because I had that resource um, and, you know, all of the psychosocial at, attributes that she had imbued, you know, in our, the, the long term of our relationship up until that point, um, I, I believe was, was protective. And, you know, for me, that's the, you know, opportunity of, of studying adverse um, events, negative life events is because, you know, through that process, I found a sense of purpose and meaning. And, and of course, I, I, you know, if I had my choice, I would rather have my mom than, than have the, you know, the increased sense of, of purpose that I have uh, following, following her death. But, you know, it's, it's these, these moments that can be um, watershed moments or, you know, can provide a, a yardstick against which, you know, you evaluate other experiences and choices that you have in front of you. And, and you know, it put me on a, a path of wanting to pursue the things that, that mattered to me. And so I think that there's an opportunity with, um, with difficulties, with, you know, tragedies, traumas. A lot of the time they lead to bad outcomes, but they can also have, you know, kind of a, they're, they're an opportunity to re-envision the kind of life that we want to have for ourselves. Um, and certainly having, you know, resources, social relationships going into that, that, you know, give you a sense of, um, of, of well-being or well, well-doing ahead of time um, can help you be on the right path to, you know, experience these types of events and be able to, you know, evaluate them and put them into context and, you know, make meaning out of them, uh, which I know connects to your research, uh, Dr. Jones, through your doctoral program about, you know, making, making sense out of, um, out of events and how do we kind of conceptualize what, what we experience and then how do we move forward from it? Yeah, you know, and, and to that point, um, you know, to your point, a lot of the work that I did was uh, in crisis and, you know, self-preservation is connected with that. So you talked about, you know, strong bonds with parent and um, child. And it's interesting. I was thinking about what you said and I experienced some family members who had strong relationships with parents but they were actually grounded in crisis, mm-hmm. mm. right? So they had really strong relationships. Yeah. But I think in some cases, the child adopted some habits. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because they were so close, right? So when you talk about yeah. your it's so great to hear that not only was it strong, but it sounds like it was, you know, positive as well, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So one of the questions I have, I'm glad you, you brought up some of the connection to the work I've done. because when we think about flourishing on one end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. what is it that we can best think about lies at the other end of the spectrum? What would that be? Yeah, we've, well, we've, we've had conversations about, about that um, within the human flourishing program. You know, is it, is it the absence of these different aspects of, mm-hmm. of flourishing? So is it not having close social relationships? Is it having poor health and, and well-being? Is it, is it, you know, not having um, a sense of meaning and purpose in life? Or is it something different? You know, is it, is it the existence 
of, of something else because having, you know, less of something isn't necessarily the same as, as having, you know, the existence, the presence of something that's, that's, that's bad. Um, and so, you know, we've kind of talked about, that's not something that we're, you know, assessing at, at this time because we're, we're hoping to, to promote the positive aspects because <laughs> a lot of the, the research, you know, a lot of the research does focus on, uh, you know, pathogenesis, like what, you know, what are the things that are deleterious of, of health and well-being? You know, we know that negative events or, or poverty, um, homelessness, these things contribute to, you know, a lot of the time the, the focus is on um, the negative uh, outcomes. And so, you know, we're trying to turn that around and focus on the things that, you know, even though we all experience negative things in life, um, you know, what are the things that we can we can really have in our lives and, and promote in our lives that, that can you know, help with, with flourishing. Um, so we're more focused on the, you know, uh, the, the promotion of the, the better side of, of flourishing. Um, but, you know, we would kind of talk about, you know, stagnation um, as, you know, a, an aspect that isn't flourishing. Um, but, you know, we, we try to s- keep our focus on, on the positive side and, and what's, what's promotive of, of flourishing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll, I'll try to ask my questions. I just, you know, what made me think about um, when you mentioned poverty and you mentioned homelessness. Yes. Uh, obviously, on the other side of flourishing, correct? Um, right. What made me think about the other parts of this where you can look, and I'm curious, have you sectioned this out or have you looked at this from a from a demographic standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I know as a, as human beings, we all have, we experience the same condition, right? But I think a lot of times it, it, the experience is different based on ethnicity, based on gender, all these other things. Have you dissected that in terms of flourishing uh, in the program? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's part of the goal of the, the global flourishing study is, you know, we're looking across, across national contexts, different, different countries on different continents, with very different social environments, uh, different racial ethnic makeups in these in these country countries, different levels of nativity versus you know being born in a different country, and so that's that's something that uh, we have ahead of us um, globally. The United States is one of the countries included in in those twenty two nations that we'll be examining. Um, so yes, but you know the, what we would argue both theoretically and empirically is that. You know, these are these are the aspects that are important to to flourishing, that are important to a, a well lived life across you know racial ethnic um, categories or by gender, by sexual orientation. So you know, we we believe that that these are um, that these are these are um, pretty robust um, ways of measuring flourishing. But of course, there are um, different demographic. Um, uh, aspects that you know contribute to to um, different levels of of flourishing, um, and we have a couple of studies that you know look at you know cross um, cross national differences in flourishing or you know within um, within schools different contexts. Um, but you know you, you mentioned with um, with homelessness, I have um, a, a project that's a a topic that is um, near and dear to my heart. I um, I grew up 
uh, with a, doing a lot of volunteering, a lot of service work with my mom. <laughs> I was a Girl Scout for 10 years and, you know, uh, we did a lot of, a lot of service and uh, I worked in social services um, in homelessness organizations and uh, affordable housing before going to graduate school um, back in, in Portland. And that's a, a really um, beautiful way that my work with Human Flourishing Program has come back around full circle. Um, we are partner partnering with the Institute for Health and Homelessness. Um, the Human Flourishing Program is partnering with the, the Institute for Health and Homelessness at Harvard through the um, School of Public Health and Howard Coe. We are um, you know, launching on um, a new, new initiative um, to study um, homelessness and uh, you know, using data primarily on um, homeless veterans through the VA. They collect um, really really interesting, um, excellent data. You know, it's, it's a hard population to, to study, um, to, to collect data on, to, you know, collect large enough um, data, large enough samples to be able to, you know, say anything about, um, about the population. Um, and so that's a, that's a project that is uh, underway and we'll be gearing up here in the next couple of months that I'm, that I'm really excited about. But, but to your point, you know, I think, those of us who are involved in, in this project and who, who um, work with populations who are experiencing um, homelessness, um, who are unhoused, is, you know, does flourishing look different? Does flourishing look different in different populations? So, you know, we would argue that all of these, um, going in, we would argue that all of these different domains are important to, to flourishing, but, you know, does, does flourishing in different contexts maybe look a little bit different? And that's something that I would like to study moving forward. So it's a, it's a great question that you pose. Well, you have two folks who would take that journey with you because to me, that was one of the most impressive aspects of the work is just asking that question and not making the assumption that flourishing means the same to all cultures, countries of origin, et cetera. And, you know, a funny story, I'm, you know, worked out, showered, I threw a shirt on, I was on my way over here. The shirt said, no pain, no gain. I said, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't wear this shirt. I don't even know if that's true. I said, but, you know, it's kind of, in some cultures, it's sort of a, a badge, right? right? If you've been through something, you know, if you've come through and came out on the other oh. end, a little bit scarred, but that's sort of a badge of honor. And it's considered, quote unquote, flourishing. But is that right. really the case? Do you have to experience that? Right in order to have a, you know, a flourishing uh, mentality, I'll call it. Yeah. So we can't make any assumptions around this, but I'm really glad. I was really impressed that that question came out and led to study that was uh, more uh, dimensional. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a really great point. Say. No, no, yeah. no. That's a really great point. I was just going to jump in and just support kind of where you're headed with that, because, you know, as you and I talk about a lot, I mean, one of the things that, that I think DJ and I, we both recognize is that well, when it comes to like, I'll say one aspect of flourishing is obviously your ability to have resources, financial resources, uh, a certain type of wealth, right. Um, that allows you to make different choices in life. Um, I mean, I know choice is one of the things that you spoke about a little bit earlier and, and choice can in different contexts, but choice is certainly one of the things that you can do things a little bit differently. And I think culturally, there are, in a, from an ethnic standpoint, 
ethnicity standpoint, when you're able to make different choices financially, it certainly impacts your ability to flourish when you're not able to do so. You know, that the opposite end of that, right? And so I don't know if that's this, it, it could be the same for everyone, but I also think it's exacerbated in other communities, so to speak. Yeah, and that's, you know, the sociologist in me, you know, all of my um, foundational training in sociology is to point out that, you know, of course, the choices that we make are are important and they determine, you know, our, our life trajectories, but the availability of our choices are informed by, it's informed by the, the social structures, you know, and, and the, the, the um, macro level and meso level resources that we have available to us. So you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, our, our context, it's, it's, it's not only about the individual and what they have uh, available to them, but it is a part of a, a bigger system, a broader system that you know, determines the, the, the availability of choices and, and options and resources. So, you know, financial and material stability is certainly important to um, the sustaining of flourishing. We, we wouldn't argue that there are ends in themselves that, you know, people seek out financial and material security as, as um, an aspect of flourishing. It's more, you know, these other aspects are, are ends in, in themselves, um, meaning and purpose and close social relationships, but financial and material stability are so important to, you know, potentially sustaining um, flourishing over time. Yeah. It, you know, I'll just speak personally here for me, it became more important over time, uh, the financial wherewithal to be able to walk away from a corporate environment that for me at times just felt unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, but interestingly enough, it goes back to my childhood as an only child, single parent, I spent a lot of time latchkey kid by myself. That's mm-hmm. how I personally re-energize. So mm-hmm. when I'm in, hey, group dinners with 25 people and, you know, wine flowing. Honestly, that's just not my. You don't feel like you're flourishing. Oh, I'm not. I'm up. Whatever's on the other end of the deal. I mean, that's that's, yeah. that's where I am. Yeah. Right? And I, I tried to avoid that, you know, at times. But when you start running teams and you start, you can't. So for me, that financial piece allowed me to operate in a liberated fashion so I could flourish and not have to be around folks who weren't really a source of energy or Mm -hmm. detracting from my energy. But it Mm -hmm. goes back to childhood. So, you know, the the work that you're bringing to us and the research is so valuable. And, you know, Charles and I both just really appreciate you allowing us to ask these questions and dig deep because I think our audience will find the same thing. I mean, you know, I know folks who after, you know, 20 years in corporate America, it can be debilitating, especially if like in my case, you're an only child and you are re-energized by being alone, by being by yourself. And um, the more I read into the work that you're doing personally, and then the Institute itself, it helps me to understand things about, you know, how I operate. Right. And we're right. always learning that about ourselves. And Charles and I talk yeah. about all the time. Right. Self-discovery is this constant yeah. thing that just doesn't stop. Um, so not to get too personal, but even for you today. 
how how are you not just constantly reassessing yourself and thinking, okay, that goes back to this. This goes back to childhood. Ah, when I was seven. I mean, you know. Or when you get, you get mad at your husband yeah. about something. See, I wasn't going to go there. Like, he's either, I mean, so... Well, it does help put things into context because, you know, it's it's trite to say it, but the knowledge is power to be able to reframe the mm-hmm. um, the reactions that we have or, you know, our our, um, our perspectives of right. certain experiences or situations. You know, it, it really does does help to to um, conduct the research and to, to read the studies that um that researchers are are producing, you know, yeah. I, I think that it it puts everything into context, and that's that's where the opportunity for for growth and understanding is. So I, I you know, I am constantly reassessing, you know, has how did my upbringing contribute to, you know, um, my my reaction, my 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 gut reaction to a, a certain experience that has happened, and I draw a lot of power from that, and I think that that's you know the real opportunity of. Of um, of research and and being informed, learning, continuing to grow is that you know it helps you put things into perspective, and um, and then you can have a little bit um, better better stability and, and perspective on um, on the things that happen to you. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like um, like things are being done to you. You have a sense of agency. You know you you and once you recognize that you know you are a product of the environments in which you you were raised and the environments in which you exist now, your social context. Um, if you can recognize that, then you can, you can draw some, some agency and power from, um, you know, even manipulating that and, and finding, um, finding ways to, to, to do better, to, to move toward um, the flourishing end of the spectrum. You know, you know, that's what's so exciting mm-hmm. about this work. Um, because, you know, as you know, I, I remember when, uh, and DJ and I read the article and got connected with uh, Dr. Vanderbilt and obviously the conversation with you. I mean, part, the big thing that kept coming up for me was that how massive this could be in terms of helping people. To have the ability to use this work as an opportunity sort of to look in the mirror, to understand mm-hmm. more about who you are and why you are the way you are. And I love the fact that your work is, as, as DJ mentioned, your work starts in adolescence, right? I love that, you know, as, as a child moving through life, trying to figure all these things out, right? We're, we're not equipped with the skill or the knowledge or the information to be able to decipher what it is that I should be doing for myself in the moment, right? And so to be able to look back on this as you're growing in life, you know, no matter what age you are, right, and take this and use it as a prescription, so to speak, from a practitioner standpoint, as a prescription for, okay, how do we have these conversations to help people have better lives, to flourish, you know, as we talk? And and that, to me, is what's so exciting about the work that you're doing there, that your team is doing, and I think it's just so important and so valuable for for human beings in in, 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 in general. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. And I, I would encourage that, you know, if if you're interested, if uh, your listeners are interested in assessing, you know, how do we measure flourishing and, and am I flourishing, you know, go to the, the Human Flourishing Program's uh, website and, and look at the items, you know, look at how character and virtue or, or, or meaning and purpose, life satisfaction, happiness, how are these measured and how would I respond to these questions? Am, does it seem like I'm, I'm flourishing within this domain? And if there are domains where, you know, you would agree less 
um, about about flourishing in those areas. That's you know a place to to target um, for intervention and and potentially you know promote some um, focus on that area and uh, you know maybe move a little bit more toward toward well-being. <laughs> well, I hope you know you're not done with us yet or finished with us. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, this is only the beginning. Exactly. Um, I don't know how many folks in practice or in the scholarly space you come across that are this uh, excited and impressed by the work, but, but we are. And Charles has said it. I'll say it again. This is something we've been talking about for a long time and literally using the terminology flourishing. And it's really important in, in every aspect of a work that we do, life that we live, et cetera. And I think the more we move through life, the more important and self-aware we become around what flourishing is. So um, we'll be reaching back out. Uh, but before we leave you, is there anything you'd like to add or ask us before you leave us? I I mentioned this to you when we uh, talked a couple of weeks ago, but I, I really believe that, that what you're doing here is the promotion of, of flourishing by having guests on your podcast and um, talking about their their life stories, their trajectories through through the world, and you know what what made them the people that they are, how they ascribe meaning to the experiences that they've had. Um, I think that that is is so important that that experience of of reflection. You know, I do quantitative research. I'm I'm analyzing data, running models, but you know the the types of appraisals that we give to the events and conditions in our lives, um, how we make meaning out of them is, is so vitally important. And, and you're doing that work and I admire it and I love listening to it. And so I just give you all the kudos for, uh, for what you're doing. So it feels like we might be flourishing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> Well, you know what? I almost retreated to, to non-flourishing when you started bringing up quantitative models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the, the reaction. Variables, independent variables. I think my family members kind of go to that's a dark place when I start talking about my models. But they're some of the best and worst days of your of your life, though, aren't they? I mean, yeah, you, exactly. Yep. When yeah. that model fit happens, it's like, okay, oh, good. This is yeah, me. there you go. Well, um, Charles, did you no, yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, this would thank you for this time together. Obviously, we want to continue this dialogue with you in, in some way, either, you know, formally, informally. But I think for us, it's really about exploring this conversation a lot deeper uh, and, and finding out how we can be assets in the work, you know, as just, you know, um, either as practitioners who really just want to be able to find a way to help people through life and, and find that opportunity to flourish. Um, DJ and I would love to come visit. Um, and see, actually, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at Harvard a couple of weeks from now um, doing a tour. I'm going to wait until it warms up. But uh, yeah. Oh, goodness, yes. That is wise. We would love to, to connect and, and come see the work that you and, and the team there are doing and, and learn how we could be um, hopefully helpful in uh, supporting this work and supporting um, all the things that you stand for. And, you know, and lastly, Dr. Wilkinson, I think I, hopefully, you know, Charles saying that, um, He's being very genuine. And obviously we talked about Vista College Prep, which he continues to be shy about. And I don't know why he's so shy about the great work that's being done over there um, as a platform for exploring some of the flourishing. I'm offering that and I have nothing to do with it. Uh, but point. also in the uh, 
the work that I do uh, in the DE&I space, which I honestly think can use some flourishing lexicon and uh, foundation as well, because I, I do believe the DE&I space, they're getting a little bored with some of what's happening uh, in that world. So I think when we talk about flourishing and we talk about practice, I think there's a stronger connection that can happen too. So uh, we'll be talking to you about that as well. I look forward to it. Absolutely. The, the door is open. All right. Perfect. That sounds great. Well, uh, Dr. Wilkinson, thank you for joining us. And thank you for joining us on The Conscious Vibe. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com.